Hi, I'm Jake, your podcast producer here at New Hope, and I'd like to invite you to join us with her a new show. It's called What Do I Say? and it's hosted by Pastor Ryan. It seeks to answer just that question. What do I say when I'm dealing with these issues? Whether that's homosexuality, the problem of good and evil, or does God exist? We invite you to listen along to today's episode. It's a good one. Hello, and I want to welcome you to a new podcast show called What Do I Say? My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor at New Hope Church, and I'm joined by another pa- a staff pastor, Jake. Howdy. Uh, thank you for listening. And you know, I introduced this as a new podcast show, but it actually really isn't. We've been going now for several months, and I hope you have, as listeners, enjoyed this podcast. As you know, the goal is to apply the timeless truth of Scripture to the timely topics that we face today. As you know, more than ever, we need to be equipped as followers of of Jesus to be able to respond to the pressing questions of the day, to be able to build a clear, theologically accurate foundation for faith in Christ in a culture that is increasingly Mm -hmm. anti-Christian. This is really going to tie into our topic for today as well. So what we do is we take each episode, take one topic and unpack it and aim for all of us to think and respond biblically about that topic. And of course, as always, for this topic or any other, uh, you're encouraged and invited to interact uh, with me. You can email me at ryan at newhopeadel.org. I love hearing from any and all of you. So here's our topic for today. We're going to talk about unbiblical beliefs held by those who believe the Bible. Okay. See, followers of Jesus, we need discernment to be able to identify what is truth. You think about it, every single one of us, every day, we are inundated with messages and even messages that can sound good and sound biblical. And sometimes, or maybe more often than we care to admit, we embrace it as true or as if it is from the Bible. But the thing is, ideas always have consequences. And when we believe things that are not true, what happens is we get hurt as well as those around us that we love and lead, we get hurt because because decision-making and behavior always comes out of our beliefs. They're not disconnected. So as Christians, we need to be equipped to know what the Bible teaches so that we can stand up against the onslaught of unbiblical thinking and attitudes that come at us every single day. So when you say unbiblical thoughts, these aren't necessarily things that like your atheist neighbor might be sharing. These are things that you're sweet little aunt who's always gone to church says and maybe even thinks is scripture, but is not? Well, exactly. Okay. It could even be something that is said in church okay. from a stage. And and it sounds right and it sounds biblical, but mm-hmm. it's not. Okay. Again, the key is discernment. And historically, the church has not done a great job in the area of discernment. Uh, what, is, what does discernment mean? How would you define what discernment is. Yeah, it's a, it's an ability to be able to evaluate and judge. Uh, and I know judge can be a bad word sometimes in our culture, but that's really what it is. What is true okay. and what is not true. Okay. So it's different than knowing something. It's people look at something and say, is this true or is this not? Is this good or is this bad? Where is it from? Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here's our goal for today. I'm going to start with a little game, and I'll explain the game in a moment, but we're going to talk about some unbiblical ideas that we can embrace. After that, at the end, we're going to talk about, well, what can we as Christians do to grow in the area of discernment? Mm -hmm. So first, the game. 
What I want to do is I'm going to share, Jake, with you, but also all of our listeners, the top 10 that I could come up with, 10 unbiblical ideas, beliefs that too many Christians do believe. Mm. And what I want to ask you to do is to evaluate yourself. In other words, how many of these 10 have you said, or would you say that, yeah, I've believed that in the past, or I actually might believe that today, Mm -hmm. and I've embraced it to be true, but we're going to highlight how these different statements or propositions are actually not in the Bible, and they're not biblical. So let's get started. You ready to play? I am. All right. You keep your own tally, and I'll keep mine. All right. Here we go. Number one, and this is one that we have all heard so many times, God helps those who help themselves, mm-hmm. right? We know this one. So many of us have embraced this idea because it, it just sounds good, I suppose. Hard but, work is good. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Right. But here's what's going on here. If we're discerning, if we really look at it and think well about it, it this idea evaluate or excuse me, elevates self-righteousness uh, and self-reliance. Mm. It's really actually in a very anti-gospel view. See, the Bible, of course, never says help those who help themselves. There's no chapter and verse that says that. But what the Bible does say is that the Lord leads those who die to themselves. I'll give you an example. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, God says, look, I am for and I am an advocate and a help to those not who are doing 50% themselves, but for those who throw up their hands and say, God, I need mm. you. God died to self. God's not giving us a boost. He's pulling us out of the water completely, isn't he? It's all him. Mm. Oh, this is a good one. How about this one? This actually touches on a podcast we did, uh, the last one we did. Here's here, And this is a lie, of course, but we buy this. God wants me to be happy. Mm. Have you heard that one before? God wants me to be happy. See, we love this one because it feeds our happiness addiction. It puts a nice veneer of spirituality on this. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, of course, the Lord is far more interested in our holiness than in our happiness. Of course, God is not our genie in a bottle waiting to grant our wishes. Man, that's a good one. That's one I hear all the time from students. Yes. Can I tell you what the truth is about this one? Mm. In my view, at least, we use this one to justify our sin. Ooh. Well, God wants me to be happy, and so I do such and such. Why would he keep this from me? It's what Mm. I want to do. And we fill in the blank of whatever that sin is, but this belief or lie that we have, we use it in, in unfortunate ways. Should we should we just say goodbye to half of our podcast listeners right now? I think they just all <laughs> signed off. <laughs> I hope not. But this is why we're doing this. This is why we're doing this. Remember, the Lord wants us to obey him, to trust him, and to know that all he does is for our greatest good and mm-hmm. his greatest glory, even if it doesn't make us feel happy in the moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, yes. here's another one. And I've heard this one at our church said, just in conversation, we are all God's children. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy inside? We're all God's children. The Bible actually doesn't teach this. Now, this is where, again, careful um, uh, discernment, but also understanding the Bible comes into play and helps us navigate these types of statements. See, here's what actually the Bible does say. The Bible says that we are all created by God, mm-hmm. but not everyone is a child of God. So what's the difference? 
Well, only those who have repented of sin, of course, and placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior become then children of God. They are adopted into Mm -hmm. God's family. Everyone has been created by God in his image. This is what he has done. But only those who have been adopted into his family can then call God the Father, Abba, or Daddy. In fact, speaking to believers, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Again, why? Because of the decision to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's a very important distinction, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so here again is an example of a statement that it just sounds so right mm-hmm. and good, but it's not Comforting. technically accurate. Mm-hmm. All right, next one. Number four. Maybe like your grandmother said this. I don't know. Cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> now, this one's usually cross-stitch on a pillow somewhere, mm-hmm. but it's usually by people who love cleanliness. Mm-hmm. Now, look, cleanliness is good. Hygiene's really good. But this is actually not in the Bible. So... Maybe that's one, though, that you've, uh, not you necessarily, but any of our listeners have embraced. Yeah. Number five, continue on, almost halfway there. God won't give you more than you can handle. This this is one I hear all the time, and it's if it's not one I've said, it's one I've thought about before. Yeah. I've, I've said this to people in the past, mm-hmm. and I think it oftentimes gets said in situations where you're trying to speak to somebody who's hurting. Mm-hmm. And and you don't quite know what to say, but you want to bring comfort. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's admirable and helpful, but this is not in the Bible and it's not true. See, it's it's a lie, but of course, it's masked in in great encouragement or Mm -hmm. trying to help somebody navigate through something that's really hard. See, the Bible says something different. What the Bible says is that all of life is more than what we can handle. Mm -hmm. That's really the point. We live in a fallen world. And it is not for us to self-rely on carrying our own heavy burden, but rather to give it over, to surrender it to God. The point is, everything is more than I can handle. When those moments and places in life when I think, God, I've got this, and I'm rocking it and moving forward, that's a myth. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that eventually, you know, moments come in life that jar us back into what's reality, that life is challenging. We live in a posture and need to live daily in a posture in reality of I need him, I depend on him, and I find all that I need when I rest in Christ. Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, it's invitation from Jesus, come to me all who are who labor and are heavy laden, that's all of us, and I will give you rest. Where was that? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Mm, I like that. There are moments and times God will allow us to endure very difficult things because he can work out a greater purpose. Mm -hmm. I've changed this one around to now I say, God will never give you more than he can handle. I love that. Yeah. And of course, he can handle it all. Absolutely. Lead us through everything. Absolutely. Uh, Next, number six, keeping us going here. Second half. Number six is this. We all worship the same God. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, this is one, especially when you talk about comparative religion or if you're engaging with somebody of another faith tradition, this kind of belief may rise up. And of course, it's true that there really is, there is only one God, but not all who worship, worship him. 
He only accepts worship that comes through Jesus. So not Muhammad, not to Buddha, not to Joseph Smith, not to fill in the blank. These are different religious systems with different pictures and portraits of who God is in their worship there. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, for example, there is no salvation, uh, there is, there is sal- and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we, we don't all worship the same God. In fact, I would add something to it. Like as Christians are interacting with those of other religions, faith traditions, it's actually rather insulting to say to them that they worship the same God of Christianity because mm-hmm. it diminishes their own idea of what it is they're trying to accomplish and who it is they're trying to mm-hmm. worship. It's one of those ones, again, that sounds very comforting until you actually think about it for a few moments. Yes. Next one. This is a pretty common one. Bad things happen to good people. Mm. All right. Of course, this was made popular by a book, I think it came out in the 70s by Harold Krishner, called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And just the title alone, it sold millions of books. The content wasn't terribly helpful to navigate the problem of evil, but but of course, this is a, a lie of protest to help a person navigate hardships because the underlying lie is that I'm I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. So why am I going through this? And even if even if I'm not, you know, because you get into like the whole topic of well, what makes you a good person? And typically, we define that well because I'm better than most. Mm-hmm. Based on my own evaluation, yeah. my own subjective scales sort of tip view. slightly in my favor. Oh, maybe exactly. good versus bad things. I've exactly, because my bad stuff isn't nearly as bad as your bad stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's we all. And we then all we have the away. ones that we can easily say, "Oh, those ones are bad," and everyone short of that is good enough. Right. But the Bible says, "Well, nobody is good." Mm. So the whole idea of the good person, well, that's not there. What we see in Scripture is that we all sin. We all fall short, such as Romans chapter 3, verse 23. So my encouragement here is don't buy the lie, but also don't play the comparison game. Don't do the whole thing we just talked about where, Mm. well, I'm better than so-and-so, and and I may not be as good as so-and-so, but I'm better than most, and on and on we go. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, no one is righteous, no, not even one. Number eight, a few more to go. Number eight is this, I should always follow my heart. Mm. This is a Disney dribble that drives me bonkers. Oh, absolutely. This is, this is a lie, but too many people believe it, including even Christians. This idea of following your heart. I mean, culture tells us this is, this is how you should make decisions. How do you feel about it? And that becomes the gatekeeper for what is right and wrong and what you should do on big or small decisions. But the Bible says something different. The Bible says your heart is wicked, deceitful, and no one can understand it. I get that from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, which literally just says what I just said. The verse says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it? See, because of the above truths, Jesus had to give us a new heart. Mm-hmm. That's what happens at salvation. He he gives us a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put that within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So that's the point. The point is, don't believe this. Don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart, lead your heart. Follow his word, follow His the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as believers. Mm-hmm. Two more. 
Number nine, God is my co-pilot. Ooh. Seen that on a bumper sticker? Oh, we're in bumper sticker a few times. now. So what's the idea of this one? Well, of course, it's it's that me and God, we are partners in life and we share control. So we it's like those driver's ed cars, you know, where you got one, the kid behind the wheel, but mm-hmm. the other instructor got the brake and maybe a gas too. I don't know. I don't know what they have, but but they can take control of the car. And so it's that idea that we we sort of, we, we cope. We co-partner in this mm-hmm. this whole thing called life. But I this that, is I think that's an optimistic view too. I think there's somewhere it's I'm I'm driving and when I need to or when I'm I gotta go to the bathroom or take a break or take a nap, then then I'll let God take over. When I really need him to, yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's yeah. So God's not only my co pilot, he's my parachute. So yeah. when I get really stuck or in trouble, mm-hmm. right? Well, again, this uh, this idea is not in the Bible. This is not a Mm-mm. biblical idea. Uh, G- God is not the co-pilot. He is the pilot. And frankly, he's the, the plane and he's the fuel <laughs> and he's every part and piece of this. And you and I, we, in many respects, especially under lordship, we're along for the ride. He gives us that first class seat, if you will, to watch and trust him, to, mm-hmm. to watch what he is going to accomplish and do in you and through you and and to participate as he leads us to do this. But but leadership is his. He controls the plane. Mm-hmm. He controls the flight pattern. He controls when we take off. And land. anyway, all the analogies that kind of go with this. I uh, I think there's, um, we, we talked about this. I think it was a youth group or Sunday school. And I think it was Megan that actually shared this. It was, we were talking about how big God is and that a story is not even about him. And she's like, well, we're not the main character in our own lives. And I was like, that, that's exactly it. And we, we want to be, but we are not. I love that. Yeah. The thing to remember, I think, too, is that if we're using this analogy, God may not fly the plane of your life in the way you mm-hmm. think he should. But nonetheless, you can be certain that he'll fly it better than you can, mm-hmm. that I can. And he'll take you to places you never imagined. Mm-hmm. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 30. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Great this is verse. who he is. Great okay, last lie. Last uh, un- un- uh, thing we believe that shouldn't be believed. Number 10 is this. We are all going to the same place when mm. we die. And of course, that's not in the Bible. We we see a clear distinction between destinations, heaven and hell, and what is uh, required of each, what this means. And to say, well, we all end up in the same place is not a biblical idea. Okay, so there's 10. Now, those are not the only 10, of course, but they're 10, and, and they're, they're ones that I, I have found to be very common. So those of you who are listening, I'm just curious, how many did you connect with as in like, I believe that now or I have in the past? I don't know what it is for you. Is it several of them? Was it just one or two or or maybe none of them? But nonetheless, these are things and the types of messages that come at us all the time. So this raises the topic or the question, how can I grow in being a more discerning person? Remember the Bereans in the book of Acts? I think it's chapter 17. In fact, it is chapter 17. Paul was 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 with these people in Berea. And, and so the people there were, were called the Bereans. And when they heard him preach, it says something interesting about them. It says that they then went to research the scriptures for themselves to find mm. out if what Paul was saying was actually true. 
verse 10 and 11 of Acts chapter 17, it says the brothers there in Berea immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night uh, to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Mm. What a great picture of, of attributes that Christians should have today, that we are discerning, that we are taking the time to examine uh, truth claims up against the Bible to say, see whether or not they're actually true. And they weren't, and it's like, it's not like they were examining some random person. I mean, this was, this was Paul. I mean, I got to imagine how harsh and strict and discerning they were with uh, the random guest speakers they got if they were examining the scriptures after Paul and Silas spoke. And I love how Luke describes them, the author of Acts, who says of noble character. Like, mm-hmm. This was not something they felt ashamed for. Like, why are you fact checking me? They love that. Mm-hmm. They love that they were doing that. So what can we do? I want to close our podcast with four ideas for any of us that we can apply to our lives to help us to grow in the area of discernment. Here's number one. Number one, and I think this hits the core issue, which the core issue in my mind is biblical illiteracy. Th- okay. This is a big problem inside the church in America. I mean, I, I expect biblical literacy outside the church. Uh, whether you're watching a, a movie put out by pop culture or Hollywood, or you see something on the nightly news and they bring on their token Christian guest and, and anyway, just different ideas. I expect that outside, but inside the church is really where I'm targeting right now. And far too many Christians know far too little about the Bible. And so this is something that needs to be addressed. And of course, this isn't a quick fix. This isn't an overnight thing. But the key here and our first action step is to, for all of us, get into Scripture. So Scripture is getting into you, to, mm-hmm. to us. I love Joshua 1.8. It says, keep this book of the law. Of course, referring then to the Old Testament, we would say the entirety of the Bible. Always on your lips, meditate it. Meditate on it day and night. In other words, Mm -hmm. think about it, ponder it, wrestle with it, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So not just to know it, to know it, but to live it out and to have it shape your daily life. The verse finishes finishes with, then you will be prosperous and successful. Mm. So what are some practical ideas with that? Well, first, bring your Bible when you go to church on Sunday. Uh, write in the margins, underline things, be a student of the Bible, spend time in the Bible each day. Uh, whether you go to New Hope Church or any church for that matter, a sermon is not enough to spiritually sustain you mm-hmm. for your for your walk with Jesus. It's really equivalent to, in many ways, like eating one meal a week. That's That's not a healthy lifestyle. And likewise, spiritually, each person on their own needs to take their own responsibility an initiative to open up the open up the Bible and to get into it. Mm-hmm. That's so important. I think it's interesting because I mean, speaking of New Hope specifically, we all we come from so many different spots. There are some of us who had, were blessed to grow up in the church, and so we've been hearing stories since we were young. And then there are some of us that have just started to get serious about our faith. And there are times where it's like, oh, I feel like my kids know more about these Old Testament stories than I do. And I think exactly what you said is so important that you just 
you've got to dive into it. And it's not about where you've been, but what are you doing now to learn more and more about Scripture? Absolutely. Let's not be afraid of the Bible. Let's make sure that we're, that, and that's that underlining and writing the margins, mm-hmm. like get in there. But but I think the protest to this first action step is that for many people, the Bible can feel very intimidating. Very much so. What if I'm misunderstanding it? Or frankly, I read it and I just don't understand yeah. it. I don't understand anything about it. And that's fair. And so that brings us to number two. Okay. And number two, in terms of what can we do, is to remember and recognize there are tools out there that are available to you. Um, for example, uh, commentaries. There are people who know a whole lot, and they write commentaries that comment on different parts of the Bible. In in fact, some Bibles, like for example, a study Bible or a life application Bible has very small version of commentaries on Mm -hmm. every page. And so half the page of your Bible might be scripture in the bottom half has, you know, notations, you know, chapter one, verse one, you can go to the bottom and then you can read a few sentences that explain what you're reading. What a tremendous tool. And those Bibles are available to us. And so that's a great way to help you navigate through uh, through parts of the Bible. There's also online commentaries like Bible Gateway is a mm-hmm. great resource. To, and it's all free. You can go on there and look things up to help you understand. Uh, there's a tool called a concordance. Uh, a concordance is where you can look up specific words and you can learn more of what does the word mean. And so, for example, if you're reading... Um, a verse and it has the word love, then you can look up, well, what kind of love is that about? Oh, phileo love, friendship love, or agape love. And you can learn more about verses through that. Or uh, finally, there's Bible dictionaries, and that's where you can look up people or ideas or places, and you can learn more about, they just define those terms for us. Now, I know that sounds like all the Bible nerds, myself included, are listening. They're like, woohoo, like you love that, right? You're excited about that. And others... It's like, yeah, I, I don't have the time for that. That doesn't seem realistic. Mm-hmm. But I do want to, all of our listeners to be aware that those were out there to help us navigate learning what the Bible actually teaches. Let's go on to number three. Number three is learning in community. Because this is a great place where ideas that you have or are confronted with or things that you're wrestling with, is this biblical or true? Community can be a great place where you can bounce that off other people mm-hmm. and receive feedback or help or coaching or other Bible verses that can help us, any of us and all of us navigate through this. So this could be a small group at your church. It could be a Bible study. But again, these are helpful uh, environments to make sure that we are believing things that are true and biblical. Last one, we begin to close. Number four, adapt ideas slowly. Adapt ideas slowly. One of the things about our culture is that it's faster and faster and faster. We we do things quick. We sort of get our news quick. Everything about us is quick and we want it quick. And what that means is we oftentimes don't slow down enough to analyze, to critically think about the Mm. messages that come at us every single day. Now, here's what I'm not encouraging. I'm not encouraging any of us to become a skeptic. Now, a skeptic is somebody who, to the extreme, uh, to every proposition simply has the mantra, well, how do you know? Well, how do you know? How do you know? I mean, it sort of goes on and on. And so you make a proposition, the skeptic says back to you, well, how do you know? And then you have to answer that question then to whatever it is you say. Then they say, well, how do you know that? 
and how you know that. What what you've done is you've put yourself on the hamster wheel of death. Like you can never get off mm-hmm. this thing. And if you want to be consistent, a skeptic has to be just as skeptical about their own skepticism as they are about everybody else's propositions. And so on and on it goes. I'm not encouraging that, but I am encouraging all of us to not quickly embrace every headline, every article, everything that's on the web, every proposition that's spoken or said Mm. without discernment. Mm. Have your radar up. Constantly ask yourself, does that line up with the Bible? Mm -hmm. Is that true? Take time to be discerning. See, there's nothing wrong with whether to yourself or to someone else to to say, let me, I'm gonna think about that, or let me get back to you on that. And then and then to ponder and really to wrestle with, is this true? But but here's the key. It's not that we can't do this, it's simply that we don't, because we're busy. Yeah. It's not the way the world works right now. You read something and you share it before you even read the article, let alone finish reading the headline. And yeah, so the idea of sitting and pondering and reading and discerning is is a hard thing in this moment it is so those are some ideas those are some tools and i recognize hard yeah probably uh take some time of course but this is important Mm -hmm. because remember ideas always have consequences true and we want to believe things i want to believe things that are true Mm -hmm. i want to align my life with what is actually true what corresponds with reality and with the Bible. And they don't just have consequences for us, too. It's for those we influence, for our spouses, for our children, for those we live life with. It it impacts big things when we spread, even unintentionally, spread mistruths. What were those four? Sure. To four review, uh, number one, addressing the issue of biblical illiteracy mm-hmm. of getting into Scripture. So a quiet time, bringing your Bible to church on Sunday, getting into a Bible study, whatever, uh, listening to the Bible on, I was going to say cassette, <laughs> that's not a thing anymore, <laughs> on CD or MP3. I mean, however well, there, it is. There are apps now. <laughs> thank you, an app, yes. Streetlights Bible it, app is a great one. There you go. You got to get into scripture. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, recognize there are tools available mm-hmm. uh, to you and to access those tools as as you discern as best. Number three, learning and community. Mm-hmm. And then finally, number four, slow down. Mm. Slow down. Take time to think. Take time to ask good questions like, does this line up with scripture and be a discerning person? Mm-hmm. This is very countercultural. No. Yeah. But this is so important. I want to close with this this verse and one idea. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says, Be diligent to present yourself to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but rather rightly divides the word of truth. We need to be people as followers of Jesus who rightly divide or discern what the Bible says. But I'm going to add, I'm not adding to this verse I just read, but I want to add to that idea also that we would be discerning about culture. Mm. And we recognize both we need to rightly divide Scripture, know what is true, and align our lives to that, submit our lives to that, but then also recognize the non-truths of culture. And to spot the things that say, that's not true. Have your baloney meter up to where you, you can spot these types of things 
because this is essential to living well as a follower of Jesus. Mm. Well, I hope that you found uh, both for both of us here uh, recording today, but also those of you listening, that this has been helpful for you, something to ponder and think about. Thank you for listening as always. And of course, I invite you, if you do have questions, comments, ideas for future episodes, to uh, email me at ryan at newhopeadel.org. And we look forward to uh, being with you next time. Take care and God bless. I want